Father, we come before You, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, I pray that even now You give us ears to hear, hearts open to the amazement of the privilege of being children of the Most High God. And Father, the privilege of being ministers of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, as we look at our brother Paul here, may we be encouraged, even understanding the things that he had to endure. And yet, Father, knowing that we are not immune, but Father, it is as we have been singing this morning, it is to you and to you alone, and you will be exalted. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being children of the Most High God, for the privilege of having your word in our hands, indwelled by your spirit and your precious bride, your church. To your praise, to your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your conscience. We are not again commending ourselves as to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. I started in this area, in this section, last week, and I went through and I was showing you what integrity is. Because I guess the easiest way to look at the word integrity is to compare it to hypocrisy. Okay, a hypocrite is an actor. Okay, they may be saying one thing and doing another. A person of integrity is not that way. They are not talking both ways. They are not trying to appease people. They are standing on a foundation that they have established. All right. We, we looked at several men of integrity last week. Job was one of them. He was a man of integrity. We've all heard the verse that says, go ahead and curse God and die. And, 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 and we all think, well, there's that woman again. But that's not the text because the text says he will stand as his integrity. We've seen where the second time that God appeared before Solomon. And he says, I will bless you if you have a heart of integrity like your father. Now, that's amazing to me. Because when you think about King David, does the word integrity really jump out at you? He's only a murderer, a liar, an adulterer. But other than that, he's a man of integrity. But the thing is, is that when you look at David's life, he understood that when he sinned, it was against God. When he repented, he repented to God. So he was a man of integrity based on the word of 
God. I mean, think about it. God said he is a man after my own heart. That's amazing when you think about it. And yet he said, Solomon, I will bless you if you will have a heart like your father's. All right. What is happening in this letter? Understanding that there was four letters written to the Corinthian church. We only have two of them. All right. And what had happened is Paul was in this church, founded this church, laid the bedrock of this church, spent days and 18 months teaching in this church to flourish this and grow this church. It's really funny. If you go back and look in the book of Acts, you'll find out there was two head rabbis of the synagogue were converted to Jesus Christ by his teaching. And then it got kind of mean spirited. All right. But what happened is Paul had moved on to Ephesus to continue the work of the church. And what happens in every time that you have a man of God standing firm on the truth of God, when he leaves, the false come in. Okay, the key to false teaching is very simple and has not changed in 2000 years. What I have to do as a false teacher is that I have to discredit the true teacher so that I can sow the lie in behind him. All right. And what they will do is that they will attack the integrity of the teacher. All right. It has happened throughout history. Uh, I have experienced it several times. Uh, and and you, it doesn't change. Now, listen, you've got to understand something about attacking integrity. It doesn't have to have a basis. All I have to do is say something. Okay. You do not have to have a basis to attack a man's integrity. And, and, it, and it's a shame. It's a shame. It's why the Bible warns us that you do not take accusation against an elder unless there's two or more witnesses. And, and, and it makes sense if you think about it, because throughout history, you see it happening all the time. It, just make an accusation. That's all you have to do. I didn't see nothing. I didn't hear nothing. But... I have a feeling. And that, that's, you see it today. In some cases, it's true. <laughs> Tragically. I have seen, and, and I guess when you've been in the community as long as I've been, I, I, I've seen them come and I've seen them go. And sometimes I was glad to see them go. Because things happen. All right. And one of the things that I've watched in the evangelical community is that we don't put any stock in integrity. If the guy's got a degree or, you know, and I never ever understood that either. You know, what does your resume say? Could you tell me what Paul's was? I can. Circumcised on the eighth day. Tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews. A Pharisee. Really? And you could fit in Christianity how? What was Jesus' resume? Son of a carpenter. So why are you a rabbi? Because in the beginning was the Word, and I am the Word. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I don't need another resume. 
One of the ways that they would attack the Apostle Paul are several of the ways, and I'll just list them out here, and, and we can see these in, in, in 2 Corinthians. First is, they, the false, accused the Apostle Paul of operating in the power of his flesh. Power of his flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom. What's he trying to do there? I'm defending that I'm not doing this in the flesh. Okay? Uh, he's denying it. Now, I find it fascinating, first and foremost, that he has to. There's no church in Corinth if Paul don't show up. Okay, and yet, now that he's been gone, he becomes the target. All right? And they're saying, well, you planted this church in Corinth and you did it in the power of your flesh. Okay? Second thing they would... um, that he had a secret agenda that many believe that the, the gospel that he was preaching of grace through faith was for money. Let me build a mega church. I'll be paid well. I'll do it for money. Some, and I'll show you this later in the, in second Corinthians, believe that he was doing it for sexual favors. Um, verse 13 of chapter one says, We write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end. Just as you partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you are ours. Okay, what he's going back to was, you remember the time we had together? You were with me. I was with you day and night, seven days a week. What would be my secret agenda? Okay, you know, in this congregation, I have been one of the greatest blessings that I think that I've had of being in this church is that I've been in this church so long. Okay, some of your kids I had as in youth. Uh, Remember when we were big into making kids repel off of rocks? And it was always me who had to figure out how to get them down in one piece. I don't want to send this child to glory yet. Okay, but when you have that many generations going through, you know, I'm I'm working on second generation weddings. That is amazing. When you look at the life expectancy of a pastor in Kazarok. No, (laughs) that sounds awful, doesn't it? I don't think I said that quite right, but you know what I mean. Okay, but these are the kind of things that you people know me. Now, I have new people who come in. That's great. Okay, but there's a core of this church. We have been together for an awful long time. You poor people. No. And and everybody knows what my agenda is. There isn't secrets going on. He's been just like that for 20 years. Paul is trying to get the same thing. He says, what I wrote is all there. There's nothing more. There's nothing secret. I meant what I said. They said that Paul couldn't keep his word. Verse 17. Therefore, I'm not vacillating. When I intended to do this, 
Was I? Or was I was or what I purpose do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there is will be a yes, yes and a no, no at the same time. Okay, what they were saying is he says, I want to come back and see you. I want to come back and and spend time with you, but I haven't had the opportunity. And if you think about it, he says a door for the gospel was open for him in Ephesus. So he was bearing fruit there. Drop it on down. He says, but as God, verse 18, as God is faithful, our word too is not yes and no for the son of God. Verse 19, Christ Jesus who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. Okay, so what he's trying to get across to him is, do you not understand that the reason that I didn't come back was because of the same reason that I preached the gospel in Corinth is the same reason I'm staying and preaching the gospel in Ephesus? If you drop over to um, chapter 2, verse 1, You see the bulk reason that he didn't come back. But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. You got to remember something. Before this letter was written, there was a letter that the Apostle Paul called the severe letter. Okay, we don't have that letter. But if Paul called it a severe letter, you can bet it was a dandy. He says, I don't want to come back and come back in sorrow. I don't want to bring more sorrow. Verse 23 of chapter 1, I call God as as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. All right? There was a conflict here. you got to understand something. This church is breaking his heart. It is amazing. Think about some of the things we looked at in 1 Corinthians. They were boasting that a man in the church had his father's wife. And they said, well, that's the freedom in Christ. As a man of God, that ought to just thrill you right out of your shoes. I want to go back there. Why? You know, I spent 18 months there pouring myself into each and every one of you day by day by day. And this is your conclusion? Yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. Had a little issue just this week. Uh, Someone who several years ago hurt me bad. And all of a sudden they're reaching out to people. And... People say, well, don't you think that? Nope. I don't think there's anything good about it. Ah, it's because you were the target. Nope. I haven't seen repentance. If there's no repentance, guess what? Pete and repeat were sitting on the fence. Pete fell off. Who was left? Repeat. You get to do it again. No. No, I don't look to stick my face into something that hurt me the last time. Let's do that again. The Apostle Paul is the same way. He went, I want to spare you. He says, I'm not lying. It hurt. They also said that he had a corrupt secret life. A life of vice. He was a deceiver. He perverted the scriptures. Chapter 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because 
of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but in a manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We've renounced it. The craftiness, the, the playing of the games, the manipulation, the systems. Okay, why? Do you see what I've given you right here? Right there is just four assaults on this man's integrity. Fifthly, they believed that he was doing it to seek his own glory. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Chapter 4, verse 5. Personal glory? We can't even preach ourselves. We're not preaching ourselves. I have heard pastors who do nothing but get up and tell stories about themselves. They'll take a text and explain themselves. And I'm sitting there going, well, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? Listen, we can all take different parts of scriptures and give a personal illustration of this scripture. But I don't need you to explain yourself to me. I need you to explain the word of God to me. And yet there are those who lift themselves up. Verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Verse 15 of chapter 4. For all things are for your sake so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Whose glory was Paul after? Manifestation of God. Let me show you God. Okay? I. There are too many in the evangelical community who are in quote-unquote ministry right now who will deny that they're doing it for their glory and yet their actions say completely different. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Paul says it's not even for my sake. It's not even for my sake. Then one of the last things that they accused him of, if you go over to chapter 11, verse 5. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. They're saying that he wasn't an apostle. Okay, and I'm talking about the office of apostle. Someone who has seen the resurrected Christ. And what they want to challenge him in is that if he's not an apostle, then why are we listening to him? Okay, you got to remember something in that day. What Bible did they have? They didn't have a Bible. How do I prove it? Well, they were doing the signs of an apostle. All right. Now, how do I prove it? Well, it doesn't line up to Scripture. All right. I've got the Bible now. To hold it is the, the, the truth detector. I don't need a sign and wonder. If I need a sign and wonder, you understand what you're trying to say? Your faith ain't very strong. Why? We are called to live by faith. Okay? I take the word and I put my faith in the truth. And I stand there. I stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right? If I'm going to stand in that grace, then I need to know who Christ Jesus is. All right? So if we can accuse the Apostle Paul... I can get his integrity. He's just taking the title of apostle. Why? Because he's, remember, he has the secret agenda. Do you see how this all works? 
And it, it is unrelenting. I can't believe. I think the tragedy of this is it's not so much that they accused the Apostle Paul, but the people that knew him were buying it. That's the tragedy. You'll see in 2 Corinthians that he made a surprise visit to him and some of the false teachers stood up and accused him and no one in the church defended him. To me, that I, I, I'd have been doing the hand washing thing. I'm washing my hands of this. So I'm out of here. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how he, he did that. I do believe that the false teachers, if in this same text, you talk, remember he said that he prayed three times that this messenger of Satan would be removed from him, thorn in his flesh. I believe it was a false teacher. I think it was sort of like the, the grand poobah of false teachers who was kind of pushing all of this stuff around. He said he was not an apostle. Chapter 12. Verse 1 says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he goes through and talks about this man who went to the third heaven. Okay. He says, you need credentials? Try this one. Okay. So he, he, he answers these every time. But yet they're attacking everything in his ministry. They attack everything that he says and everything that he does. And then they attack him personally. They call him a, a liar. He, he's doing it for personal glory. He's not even an apostle. And it's all based on his integrity. If I'm going to sow a line of lie into a Bible-believing church, the first thing I have to do is disqualify or get that teacher, the one of truth, I have to remove his integrity. And it's like I said, what are the basis of any of these accusations? There aren't any. And yet he still has to defend his integrity. And listen, one of the things that if you're in ministry, one of the hardest things for you to do is to defend your integrity. Okay? You're doing it for the glory of the Lord. And if you stand up too loud defending yourself, whose glory are you shooting for? And you've got to be real careful about that. And the Apostle Paul understood that. But the Apostle Paul understood that if they, dis, if they do get my integrity where the people don't believe me, then all is lost. All is lost. He's not doing it for, when you're, when you're in the ministry, the attack on your integrity will come. I guarantee it. Alright? Guarantee it. Alright? Now then, the other thing you gotta understand, if you're saved, you should already be in the ministry. But some of you, maybe your integrity ain't intact. Because you're not standing in the truth of Jesus Christ. You're just kinda going through it. Right? And you're better off to sit there. Because once you take the stand, you become the target. Once you become the target, then your integrity better be intact. Because if it ain't, you will waffle. You will waffle. And when the attacks come, we have to understand, as the Apostle Paul did, it is not for our sake. All right? It's because, remember, Paul says we're nobodies. We're clay pots, earthen vessels, common dirt jugs. 
with the precious treasure that is inside. But when the integrity is attacked, it must be defended for the sake of usefulness, for the sake of fruitfulness. Why? Because it all brings the glory. Okay, if you go back to chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your conscience. All right, here's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, the glory is to God. Okay? But if if you go over to chapter 7, verse 2, he says, Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. All right? I haven't hidden anything from you. I have given you the full counsel of God. You have seen my life lived out before you. So Paul is pleading that they accept his integrity. And all through this, now think about this for a second. He has to humbly defend the assaults on his integrity. Think about that. How do you do that? They are trying to destroy his credibility. If you do that, then you destroyed his usefulness. If you do that, you destroyed his fruitfulness. Because ministry, the key to ministry is integrity. Too many... We looked at this last week on the negative side of integrity. 23rd chapter of Matthew, the woes of the Pharisee. He kept calling them what? Hypocrites. Why? You say one thing and you do another. That's a hypocrite. When you look at this outline, I have six things here. And you find out the motives that are behind the defense of his integrity in these six points. Six reasons. Why? It's for the Lord. It's for the church. It's for truth. It's for the Savior. It's for the righteousness. And it's for the lost. That's the motives behind fighting and defending his integrity. All right? It is easy to hear people who are fighting for the integrity of themselves. But when you see these six points, then you know that the motive is the integrity of the ministry. Remember what we've been taught. Ministry is received. It is never achieved. Okay, there's too many who are trying to achieve a ministry. If I do these things over here, then this will happen. Well, that's crazy. Ain't going to happen. Let me have a life of integrity. And once I have that, then I am useful to what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is doing. Okay, but today I want to look at a verb. (laughs) Everybody's like, oh, great. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. Okay, that is the purpose of this passage. We persuade men. Okay, he uses the word we. Okay, we is the ministers. Notice he doesn't say I persuade men. Anyone who is preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified is doing it for the persuading of men. All right. Um, To understand this really well, we'll have to bounce around a little bit. 
If you go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, you see the same word in the original language. Patho is, is the word, patho. Um, chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now, of Galatians, for am I now seeking the favor of men? Right there. Seeking the favor of men. Okay, it's patho. Am I trying to persuade men? Or God? All right, which is it? Um, it's, it's fitting here because when I think about ministry, it is seeking the favor of men. I'm trying to get you to see. I'm trying to persuade you. Let me show you the evidence. Those who would look on us with integrity would render it favorable. Okay? If you've got a person that you see who lives a life like the devil and all of a sudden wants to share Jesus Christ with you, really? Really? Have you, have you ever seen people and... and <laughs> uh, here goes this illustration. Have you ever seen those people who are always trying to share Christ and are mad? You know, their their foreheads are all wrinkled up and uh, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And you, no, not really. Well, I have the answer. Really? Why why aren't you happy about it? You maybe you guys have never run into those kind. I've run into those kinds. They scare me. All right, but but it's like you know I'm supposed to be doing this, and I don't care what you think. And you're like, and and you know, because I remember before I was saved, I would run into these occasionally, and I kept thinking, whatever you got, I hope is not contagious. And, and, but you see them that are out there and they say, well, I'm to persuade you. Well, you're scaring me. Um, it is important to me, Paul is telling us, that you trust me. Okay. A person that's angry and bitter, trying to share with me the grace of Jesus Christ, I'm not buying. If I see a person who looks just like the world trying to get me in the pearly gates, I ain't buying. Okay? Because the simplicity of it is this. At the moment of your salvation, you have peace with God. Right? And therefore, you have the peace of God. Let me tell you something. The peace of God stands out in this chaotic world that you live in. It isn't something you have to manufacture. It shines so bright that people say, how's come no matter what's going on? He sits there with that goofy grin on his face. And it can't be moved. And that's when you persuade people. Why? Because they look at the life of integrity. I've seen that person go through the ringer and nothing sways them. Nothing moves them. That is a life that is 
of a life of integrity. Paul needed to know the, the, the Corinthians to be reminded and wanted them to know his sincerity. Paul wanted them to know that his honesty, let me bring it back to your mind. I want you to know the genuineness that is in me. It isn't an act. I've seen the actors. Paul has seen the actors. They're everywhere. They look like Jesus for an hour on Sunday. And then they look like the world the rest of the time. In Galatians, what he's saying here, he was not seeking the favor of men to compromise the gospel. I see this today. I'm trying to persuade men. We have a, a, a method of study now called uh, it's hermeneutics, but what it is is that if I can get you to like me, you'll like my Jesus. Okay? Um, that's not biblical. If you, if you go look at Jesus' ministry, they either wanted everything he's got or they wanted him dead. It wasn't that uh, non-offensive, non-confrontational type Christian out there. You stood on truth, and sometimes truth runs into the lie, and the lie gets offended. Paul here in Corinthians is that he seeks their favor by speaking truth. And that truth is sometimes he uses words to speak it, and other times you see the life and you know truth. Okay? One of the things when I was going through this, one of the things that I've seen is some commentators were trying to say that he was persuading into the gospel. Um, that is there sometimes. In uh, Acts 18, verse 4, he says, He was reasoning in every synagogue, in the synagogue every Sabbath. This is actually speaking of the birth of the church in Corinth. The Sabbath trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, what was he doing? He's given the gospel and he's trying to show the evidence that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he is the atoning work of sin. Okay, in uh, 28 of Acts. Verse 23. And when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning until evening. These are his guards. He's in prison. These are his guards. He's trying to persuade them to salvation. Okay, now, in... Second Corinthians, salvation's not the issue. Okay? This letter, Second Corinthians is not an evangelistic letter. This, this is a letter to the church to strengthen the church for the task that is at hand. Okay? He is concerned that he wants to persuade them about his integrity. The issue is the church. See, the church was at a, at, a, at a crossroads. Do we throw out what Paul has given us and take what is being given now? Or do we remember Paul and the integrity with which he lived among us? See, he wants to know that the genuineness that they seen in his life was very clear. So verse 11 there, when he's saying this, I 
am persuading you to know that God knows me. Okay? And because what God has seen of my integrity, all right, He has manifest. He's, Paul's smart enough to say, you know what? What is seen in my life, God is witness to. One of the things that I have missed in the church and I don't understand today is that people think that what they're doing, God not seeing. Remember, we looked at this in the last text. Each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done, whether good or bad. And the word bad there was it was useless. It was useless. And then he moves right into this next text, dealing with integrity. Paul knows his heart. Paul knows his integrity. And that's Paul's point in this text. He was concerned that the Corinthians knew it as well as God knew it. And that's what he's getting at. It's really cool if you think about it. Paul says, I care not whether you judge me. I care not if human court judge me. Paul says, even my conscience, I care not how it judges me. It is how God judges me. But when it comes to the issue of his integrity, he says, God knows my integrity. Would you only know my integrity the way God knows my integrity? And I think that's kind of awesome. It takes me back to King David. He was a man after God's own heart. He knew what the word of God said. Was he perfect? No. (laughs) No, he wasn't perfect. Paul has already told us that we are revealed to God. Okay. Our true spiritual condition, God knows. God knows our true spiritual condition perfectly. It is extraordinarily clear to him. It is clearer to God than it is to us. And we are made manifest to God is the terminology that he uses here. He says, we are made manifest to God. And then he says this, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. See, Paul knows what his integrity is. Paul knows that it is crucial. But the the key is that I want you to think about today is what is your integrity? What do you believe your integrity? Now listen, be real careful about this. I don't care what your wife thinks about your integrity. I don't care what your neighbor thinks about your integrity. You know your heart. What does your heart tell you? Because understand this, your Savior and your Lord knows it perfectly. And you may be shocked on Judgment Day. See, We are manifest to God. What that means is we are clearly seen to God. All right. He knows mine and your sincerity. He knows mine and your honesty. He knows mine and your genuineness. And even in all the attacks the Apostle Paul is dealing with, his integrity isn't waving, just like Job. See, God knows the heart. He knows the heart. Remember, he's the one who told Satan, have you considered my servant? Job. Let me show you, Satan, what true faith looks like. 
Job never abandoned his integrity. In all that he went through, he never abandoned it. When I look at the Apostle Paul, I think about the heat of his ministry, the persecution of his ministry, the pain of his ministry, the whips, the rods. I think about the the vehement hatred pointed at the man. He never abandoned his integrity. And you know what? God knew it. And that's what he's standing by. God knows my integrity. He, you can sit there and bring all the false accusations you want. I've defended them in my humility. And you know what? You know me. But do you know me the way God does? See, it's beyond even the court of our own conscience. This is the court of heaven. It is the one looking at it. And you know what? The court of heaven, what I have experienced in my life, it has a way of working its way into the conscience. I have noticed that. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 12, his conscience isn't accusing him of anything. But he also knew that God's court is the one that counts. But he wanted the church to know as he knew. This was extraordinarily important to Paul. It should be to us. Okay? And it's not a matter of what do I look like, but if I start here first in my chest, in my conscience, and I can put it at peace, then as I move out into quote-unquote ministry, then it is seen. I don't have to dress it up. I don't have to flower it up. I don't have to put a little perfume on it. I don't have to put a little doll on it or anything like that. If you look at verse 12, what does he say here? For those who take pride in appearance, not in heart. Look at what we do today. Ministry is based on appearance. And you know what? One of the things that I've watched consistently, God takes the conscience. He tries to fix the conscience. If it doesn't, he explodes it, blows it all up. And everybody says, wow, that was kind of deceptive, wasn't it? Yep, a little bit. God knows. And Paul says, I want men to know me. Look what he says. But we are made manifest to God. That means, what am I hiding? And I hope that we are made manifest in your conscience. A blameless conscience. I mean, I can take that phrase right there. I hope, and I can literally hang it as a prayer. This is Paul's prayer now. Why? I, my, I, my integrity is manifest to God. God sees it. And I pray that we are made manifest in your conscience. So the integrity that God's looking at, you would see. That you would see. Paul understood this. Paul says, why are you listening to the critics? That's what he's getting at. I was with you for 18 months. Mine is clear before God. God knows truth. I want you to know that same truth. Are you listening to your own conscience or to the critics? You know me. You know my life. Paul is reminding them, do you not remember together we worked 
day and night, seven days a week, every Sabbath going into the synagogue until they run us out. Do you not remember that? Do you not remember the two chief rabbis of the synagogue converting to Christianity and being run out of the synagogue? You don't remember that? Do you not remember that before I came here, the gospel was not preached? There was no existence of Christ in this town? Do you not remember that? Do you not remember me living with you, going from house to house, day and night, teaching and preaching? You don't remember that? See, your conscience will be based on the information that it has. That's what your conscience is going to do. And what he's doing is bringing back. Let me remind you the information that I've given you. But for why are you listening to the critics? Oh, I'm not that fun to look at. I'm not an appearance. I'm not a, an articulate speaker. My public speaking skills are a little diminished compared to the great philosophers. But you have seen my integrity. Does that not mean more? Conscience can only respond to what is known. And he's basically saying, Corinthians, you know enough. It's, it's like I can look at this church. I have been in this church. Well, you guys know, this is the only church I've ever been a member of, ever. So it's, it's been a while. Okay, and a lot of you, you guys who have been, you know, I think about the Barris have been here since I've been here. Okay, and when I think about that, they can look at me at Karen Salentine and a number of the people in this church can say, you know what, I've seen him. Yeah, he's been through it. He's not perfect, but you know where he stands. And Paul is saying, you know what, you Corinthians, you foundational Corinthians, you know me. Tag on, you know me. And you would have new people coming in and they don't know. But a critic comes by. And what happens? Every single time it happens. Critic comes by. And the first thing that you, I can always spot a critic. You know why? He wants allies. She wants allies. So they'll grab a group of people and say, well, I just don't think this is quite right. And I, and I had him do that. Well, why has he got a beard? He's not good with sharp things. <laughs> Trust me, it's a blessing. Okay, but, but you see it all over. You know, I seen him the other day. He was in a t-shirt. Well, they're going. Okay, I'm not even going to tell you about my Harley. But I, you, you get all this stuff. Well, how can he be a man of God if he's? But see, the people who have known me and spent the time with the the original people of the church in Corinth would know Paul, and yet they're starting to drift off and listen to the critics. Yeah, I have heard it. You know, I've heard people tell me, "Say, well, Terry, your church won't grow because you preach too long." I said, "No, my church grows because I preach long." Why? The people listen to the word. If you want entertainment, the movie theaters across the highway. Okay? I'm not here to entertain. Paul was not there to entertain. And he's trying to explain to the people. He's trying to explain to those who would step forward and say, I will serve my king with every breath I have. And he's telling them, you know what? You've seen that in my life and understand that the critics will come. They will come. 
But there's six things here that I can hang on to that I said, I don't have to worry about it. They criticized the Apostle Paul. To me, that is the, I cannot imagine that. The Apostle Paul? You're criticizing Paul? And you know that man. Your conscience has already responded to what you've seen and you know of that man. And God, what a heartbreak. I cannot think of any greater heartbreak. A man of integrity and the people who know him the best listening to the man of integrity's critics. In my years in this church, I have fought this thing seven times. People roll in, all excited about what's going on, and then in a short time, they become my critics. They grab together as many people as they can find to criticize me for whatever. And I'm not really very good at defending. I just ain't. Dude, I've, it's a privilege to get to read my Bible. How do I defend it? And every once in a while, they'll grab some that have known me a long time and you see them pull them away. And I can honestly say I know of no greater heartache or pain that I've ever endured. I, I can't even explain it. And every one of the times that happened, it was this crazy accusation out of nowhere. And you're like, well, there you go. <laughs> I must have been... And Pluto that day. Those who would listen to critics. People who know their conscience has been well informed what they know to be true and yet not listening to their conscience. But they listen to the critics. Apostle Paul says, I want you to listen to your conscience. I want you to listen to what you know, what you've seen. You know down deep what God knows. Paul's, listen, was Paul single-minded of heart? Duh. Well, I'm not I say that, am I? I can't believe you said duh from the pulpit. I can't believe you heard it. There's many reports of it against God's man. There always has been, there always will be. But you know what I've learned is, is that truth will shine, period. Take a good look at what you already know. That's what Paul's saying. Man of integrity. Why? Are you, are you looking for somebody of a appearance? Or you want somebody of heart? Paul basically is telling him, says, I can't give you any more, any more information than what I've already given you. <laughs> I've only been with you for 18 months. What more information can I give you? What do I need to write? But he understands they must know he's a man of integrity because there's so much at stake. That's why you have these six reasons. Six reasons for integrity in the ministry. And Lord willing, I'll get past this verb and we'll pick it up next week. Father, to your glory and praise, I thank you for my brother Paul. Father, I thank you for the for your bride, your church. And yet, Father, we are so weak and frail in these earthen vessels, and yet we have a task that is set before us that is beyond our comprehension. 
Father, guard our conscience. Let us take in information. Let us rest in the information that our conscience has even now. That when the critics come, and Lord, we know they will. Father, but when they do, as the Apostle Paul relied on the Lord, the church, truth, the Savior, righteousness, and the passion for the lost, we will hold to the integrity that Job did, David did, Solomon did, Apostle Paul did. So many have been before us. Father, help us. Strange times. Amazing times. And Father, for each and every one of us this here this day, it's for such a season as this that we are here. Let us stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, may we have ministries of integrity that all would know in their own conscience the men and women that we are laboring with are men and women of integrity that understands that it's manifest before you. And Father, let us rejoice that it is manifest before our brothers and sisters. We praise you. We love you. May our love grow with every breath you grace us till that day our faith becomes sight. Let us walk worthy. In Christ's name, amen.